Please be seated. Don't be scared. Don't be fooled by this file. It's not that thick. It will not take a day to finish my sermon. Yeah, Christine? She was threatening me. Not more than 20 minutes, she said. Well, the outline of the sermon is, uh, I should have it, uh, it's in the uh, leaflet that you have got just now. Turn with me to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I take verse 17. Look at verse 17. I take verse 17 as the umbrella verse of Romans as it sums up Paul's letter to the Romans and it highlights for us the essence of Paul's theology. Romans 1.16 I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel that we know of is all about the righteous living by faith. Verse 17, according to Paul. It is those who have faith, those who put their hope in the death and resurrection of Jesus, who will be made righteous, who will be declared not guilty, not because we have done anything good to, to make ourselves somehow more acceptable to God. No, that is impossible. But by believing that Christ died for your sins and relying on Christ's blood to save us, to wash us clean and to secure us safely home to heaven. This is the hope of those who are declared righteous by God. And one of the purposes of Paul writing this letter to Romans is Romans chapter 1 verse 6. Look at verse 6. That he wants to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among the nations. God is telling us that through the Apostle Paul that this letter is supposed to make us want to obey him more as we put our faith in him. Today we will spend most of our time in Romans, so you do well if you uh, let that part of your Bible open. I'll be rather fast-paced as I'll, as I'll be uh, covering lots today. So I need your full attention. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39 are the concluding verses for our Romans 5 to 8 series. As we look at verse 38 and 39, let us be very clear what God wants to accomplish in us through these verses. This section is meant to make us unshakably secure as we suffer with Christ in our path of obedience. God wants us to have the assurance to, suffer, to help us to suffer well. That in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, in all these things, God will not forsake us. He will see us through. That in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And as we suffer, we are meant to have the certainty that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In this suffering, we will not curse God nor reproach Him, but trust Him and hold fast and be satisfied in Him when all things are taken away. Nothing, Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. 
Paul is very sure about this truth, and so we ought to be. I hope that you'll go home today this morning with this truth deeply rooted in your heart and in your mind. Let us pray. Abba, Father, we thank you that you have loved us. You have shown us your love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Help us, Father, as we try to understand all these hard issues about sufferings, about predestinations, about, about assurance in our limited minds, that your Spirit will illumine us, give us the courage to believe and to do what is right. Amen. Point one. Creation in futility. All creation has been subjected to futility. In this age that we live in, which extends from the fall of man into sin until the second coming of Christ, all creation has been subjected to futility. Verse 20, chapter 8. For the creation was subjected to futility. Verse 21, the creation is subjected to its bondage to decay. In other words, the creation is somehow enslaved to corruption. There's no escape. Or verse 22, follow me. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but Christians have also been subjected to futility. Verse 23, but we ourselves, people who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. Day by day we groan. Groan in pain. Groan in, groan in grief. Groan in frustration. So both the creation and the new creation, even Christians who have God's Spirit dwelling in us, as long as we are in this body, we are slaves to corruption. And this is why our government is offering up more and more scholarships for medical students year after year. And you don't see hospitals go bankrupt because our bodies are decaying as I speak. No matter how good our technology is, how good our, our research in, 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 in medical fields are, the death rate is still one out of one. Out of the one person that is born, one person will surely die. I'm so sorry, doctors. That is the painful truth. We are slaves to corruption. God subjected the creation to futility. God is sovereign. He's in charge. Look at verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In the Garden of Eden, if you can remember, Adam and Eve sinned. They had decided they no longer want to live under God's rule and therefore enjoy his blessing. But instead, they rebelled against God. They want to redefine for God what is right and what is wrong. And of course, as we would have predicted, the consequences are disastrous. God acts in judgment to spoil all perfect relationship by cursing them. Come with me, Romans 5. Please turn with me to Romans 5, verse 12. Bible sleeping is always good. It keeps you awake. And you'll know more about your Bible. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death came into the world through sin, 
And so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, God in judgment subjected the creation to futility. Appearing on the screen is Genesis chapter 3. God's curses to the creation, to woman and to man. Appearing on the screen. You see, the serpent is cursed. The ground is cursed. Relationship between man and woman is cursed. Relationship between man and the creation is cursed. It's all curses everywhere. Because of man's sin, God subjected the whole creation to futility. And this includes death. Look at verse 19 at the bottom. For if you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This futility includes death. And we see this in Romans 8, heaven be. Verse 21. Romans 8, verse 21. The creation is subjected to futility and is subjected to its bondage to decay. For the very first time, for the very first time, both Adam and Eve, they're heading, they're on their way through their tomb. They're heading to death. God in His sovereignty has subjected the creation to futility. And we know this truth elsewhere in verse 36. As it is written, chapter 8, verse 36, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now this is a quotation from Psalm, our Old Testament reading, verse 22. Paul quoted this when he wrote to Romans because he wanted to make it clear to them that our Christian hope is not to escape suffering. It is not as if God does not know beforehand that about these sufferings that we are about to face, or that God is not in control, that He is watching at the side helplessly as we are led, led to be slaughtered as sheep. No, come with me to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. Look carefully. God is handing his people over to the sufferings. Verse 10. You have made us turn back from our foe. And those who hate us have gotten spoiled. You have made us to run from our enemies and they took for themselves what was ours. 11. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. 12. You have sold your people for a trifle, for small prices as though they had no value, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. Our neighbors see what you did to us, and they mock us and they laugh at us. You have made us a byword, a joke among the nations, a laughingstock among the people. All, the day, all, all day long my disgrace is before me, and shame covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sights of my enemy and the avenger. And verse 19, you have broken us in the place of jackals of wild animals and covered us with the shadow of death. You see, these verses give us the context of Romans chapter three, uh, chapter 8, verse 36. When Paul says, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He is not saying that somehow the, the devil has defeated God and that God has lost control of everything. Or that God, neither is he saying that there are two forces of good and evil in the cosmic 
like the one in Star Wars. Come to the dark side. No, it's not something like that. Where these forces of these forces of good and evil, they're somehow struggling with one another to try to overcome each other. No, he's not like that. Paul is saying in all these verses that God is in control. God is sovereign over all things, all persons, and all events. And it is precisely because the psalmist knows that God is in control that he prays to God in Psalm 44, verse 26. Rise up, our God. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. It is because God is sovereign that it makes sense for us to cry to Him in our time of distress. It is because God is sovereign that it makes sense for us to pray to Him when I don't think tomorrow is worth living for anymore. It is because God is sovereign that when our churches are firebombed, that we do not retaliate, but we entrust ourselves to God who will one day come and vindicate us when Christ returns. It is because God is sovereign that it is only right for me, for us, to trust Him in our sufferings as much as we do in our time of comfort. The Christian hope is not that we escape suffering, but our certain hope is that the sufferings cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now God in His sovereignty, He allows suffering to happen to us for good. And this is because we are destined for glory. Point two. Verse 28 of Romans 8. 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are caught according to His purpose. What is the good that Paul's mentioning here? For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God will use all our circumstances for our good. That is, regardless of what we are facing, he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus. Come with me to verse 20. God has subjected the creation to fertility, verse 20, in hope, in hope that the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of God's glorious children. You see, God controls everything. God controls who gets sick, who gets well, who gets promoted, who gets sick, who gets children, who are childless, who has the gift of marriage, who has the gift of singleness, who dies at a young age in an accident, 
and who lives long enough to suffer diabetes, to suffer, to suffer cancer, to suffer high blood pressure. God allows all these things to enter into our lives so that we can be conformed to the image of His Son. Come with me to Romans 5. That's the beginning of our series. Romans 5. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have now been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and this hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is sovereign, and we have to believe that God is big enough to be able to use all these seemingly bad situations to achieve His good purposes in us. God can use suffering to produce in us endurance, character and hope, Does it ever come across your mind that suffering is good for you? Suffering produces hope. That is why Paul could rejoice in suffering. Look at verse 3 of Romans uh, chapter 5. He knows that having been justified by faith, God will keep him to the end and therefore he has no fear of suffering. It's like we could almost hear Paul saying here, if he's a Malaysian Chinese, Ayah, what harm can suffering bring to me lah? Suffering will only strengthen my hope in God. Ma. When I suffer, I grow in hope. Law. Suffer again, grow in hope again. Law. My trust in God grows deeper and I long for Jesus to come all the more as I suffer. I have no fear of suffering. If Paul is a, is a Malaysian Christian, a Malaysian Chinese, well, of course he's not. Let's come back to Romans 8. God so wants His good purpose to be fulfilled in us that even God the Spirit Himself prays for us in our weakness. Verse 26 onwards. That we groanings too deep for words, God's Spirit prays for us to God the Father according to the Father's will. Isn't that amazing? God so wants to keep our salvation secure that God is praying to God for us. And if someone ever asks you for a verse about predestination and assurance, that's the verse after. Verse 30. Some people call this the golden chain. Verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Two things to take note here. Firstly, these things come in a package. If God predestined you to be conformed to the image of His Son, so also you will be called to follow Jesus and be justified, declared not guilty, and be glorified when God returns. You cannot have one, but not the other. Christians cannot 
far away. If before the foundation of the world God has predestined, He has chosen you to be conformed to the image of His Son, you cannot say no to Him. You cannot resist His grace. This is called God's irresistible grace. God's calling is not a mere invitation, but a powerful and effective sermon that woke us up from our ignorance so that we will know Christ, so that we will submit to Him. So for some of us, if you are predestined, well, I do not know who is predestined and who is not, but if, if you are predestined, if you are predestined to be God's children, and through this talk maybe, that God is calling you to put your trust in Jesus, whose blood is able to, clean you, to, to cleanse you, to give you a new status, a new life, and a new relationship with God, what is stopping you? What is stopping you to receive this free gift of eternal life? There's a reason why God puts you here today. Secondly, notice the ED. Predestined, called, justified, glorified. As we read, as we read this verse, most of us will be thinking, glorified, ED, and we only to be glorified when Jesus returns. But Jesus has not yet returned, so how, how can I be glorified? Well, in what sense? Is, is it a past tense? And even verse 23, look at verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, on the slides, but we ourselves who have the first fruit of the spirits, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemptions of our body. And Philippians 3 on, on the screen, the slide before. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform us in the future, our lowly bodies, to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. In this age, we are still waiting, waiting for our bodies to be transformed, to be glorified, because, but because God because God is the one who has made all these promises, we can be so certain that we can use ED. The final whistle is blown. The victory is secure on the cross. Right now, we are just waiting for the prize-giving ceremony of receiving God's predestined glory for us. So point three, grown in hope. The God who is sovereign over all things has predestined us to the glory of conformation into the image of His Son. And this future glory is the glory that, verse 19, the glory that the creation with outstretched neck waits with, eagerly longing, with, with eager longing to see when the sons of God are revealed to them. Verse 21, the glory that God has set in place for the children of God as they obtain as they obtain the freedom from the bondage to decay, and the glory that even Christians, verse 23, 
even Christians when they groan inwardly as they wait in hope for this future glory that is theirs, the transformation of their lowly body into the image of his son, which includes the redemption of their lowly bodies. That is why Paul started the whole section by verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now if we could put all our difficulties, all our sufferings, all our frustrations, all our griefs because of our relatives or family members who have passed away, all the frustrations in this world onto this side of the scale. And put on the other side of the scale, God's glory that is to be revealed to us, this marvelous glory, and we put it here, this future glory will be so much heavier than the present suffering, that the, that the present suffering will be thrown away like a, like a feather. The present suffering is not worth comparing with God's future glory. God allows suffering to enter into our lives because He loves us. There will be times where we are tempted to think that, tempted to doubt God, that He does not love us anymore because He takes away things or persons that are dearest to me. Or we might be tempted to be angry with God. How long, O Lord, do I have to suffer? Why me? Why now? At those times, we need to remind ourselves that in order for God to save us, Jesus died. If God so loves you that He sacrificed His only beloved Son to die for your sins, will He not also give you all? Will He not also graciously give you all good things? Revelation twenty-one on the screen. Revelation 21. Next slide. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as they God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at, on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. The suffering here is short and temporal, but the glory that is to come is eternal. One day, God says, one day, all the children of God who has endured to the end in faith will be delivered from all fertility and frustration spiritually and physically. No more crying. No more death. No more pain. No more tears. No more sickness. So having understood this prophetic eschatology, what shall we say to these things? Verse 31. Since God is for us, Come with me. Verse 31. Since God is for us, no one can be against us. Since God has given us all, His Son, 
He will also graciously give us all things. Since God is the one who justifies, no one can bring any charge against God's elect. Since Christ Jesus is the one who died, who was raised in power, who is at the right hand of the Father reigning, who is interceding, who is praying for us, there is no condemnation. No one can condemn us. Not only that there is no condemnation, but no one to condemn us. Verse 35. 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations, or distress, or persecutions, or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The gospel of our Lord Jesus has saved us. And this gospel, this same gospel, will keep us to the end. When Christ died on the cross and is risen, he has defeated death, he has defeated the devil. Christ's victory won on the cross will secure our salvation to the end. That is, he will help us to conquer, to overcome all our current circumstances, our bad circumstances in our lives, to make sure that we press on to grow in maturity, to be conformed to the image of His Son as we suffer. And as we suffer, our hope for God's future deliverance rooted in the death and resurrection of Jesus will be strengthened. Therefore, as I groan in pain, in grief, in frustration, I groan with assurance. Because even though I do not know what, when is the ne- next big wave or the next big storm hitting on me, but I know for sure that God's love will anchor me onto the solid rock of Christ. I know for sure that no matter what happens, regardless of circumstances, God will conform me to the image of His Son and nothing can separate me from the love of God. I groan with assurance. And as I groan, I groan in hope. Knowing that one day God will set me free from this bondage to decay, where our lowly bodies will be transformed, will be redeemed with a glorious one. And as we groan, we groan with all patience, knowing that God will use my present suffering to transform me into the image of His Son, knowing that these sufferings are necessary to produce in me character, endurance, and hope. And therefore, for those of us who have put our trust in Christ Jesus, 
we can say with a loud voice. Verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. May this verse be yours today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for that you are such a gracious God. For that before the foundation of the world, even though we have done nothing good, you have predestined us to your eternal glory. Father, we thank you for that when Christ died and is risen, he has defeated once for all the power of death and the evil one. We pray, Father, that as we suffer, when we are tempted to doubt your goodness and, and be angry with you, help us, Father, to look at the cross and marvel at the, at the fact that in order for you to save us, Jesus died. Help us, Father, therefore, as we suffer, to suffer in assurance, to suffer in hope, to suffer with patience, knowing that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.